Well, hey, Miles City Online, are you ready for today? I'm so glad that you're joining in. It's Super Bowl Sunday. You know, some of you are ready for the game. You're excited. Some of you could care less. But for all of us Metro Detroiters, right, this is the closest we're going to get to the Super Bowl. You know, we got Stafford in there, Eminem at halftime. It's almost like Detroit's just there. We're representing, and it's Super Bowl Sunday. And when I think about Super Bowl Sunday and I think about our series that we're in, Greatest Hits, Oftentimes we think about greatest hits when it comes to music, but then my mind started to trigger about the greatest hits when it comes to football. So I thought we'd just kind of like set the stage a little bit and let's take a look at some of the greatest hits that we've seen in the NFL. Take a look. Now over the middle, Kruppler, what a throw, what a hit, what a catch. goodness it's like you feel, you can just feel it right you can just like I mean I can't even imagine being on the field with those guys playing it's just unbelievable and and as we know I mean playing football from a kid to like get to this night to like get to to be able to play in the in the Super Bowl is the ultimate prize and, and the work and the discipline and all that their bodies have gone through to get to that is just unbelievable which again sets up where we're going on our on our journey today as we keep studying through the book of Philippians we started off in chapters one and two and we called the series colors of joy because joy and rejoicing is laced all throughout the book of Philippians major theme but then in chapters three and four we noticed that there's just so many greatest hits or what we call like quotable notables just all over laced throughout uh, the book of Philippians and one of those quotable notables is this one right here that we see Paul talking talking about. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when you think about the Super Bowl, but let's think about this when it comes to our lives. And, you know, Paul, you know, maybe he was an athletic kind of a person, or maybe he loves sports because we see on multiple occasions him talking about boxing, talking about racing, marathons. And so, you know, if you're a sports person, then yeah, maybe you and Paul would have got along if you lived during the same period. And so what we see is, is Paul in, in this section of Philippians chapter 3 giving us some tools to help us press on towards the goal which is Jesus, for the prize, which is heaven-bound for us. And so that's what we're going to see. We're going to see some tips of how to press on towards the goal. But before we kick off into it, I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, uh, I just ask that you would help us wherever we're at, wherever we're watching, to hone in uh, to your message, to your word, uh, that you've preserved for us to learn from, to grow from, to move closer to you. And so God, just have your way today. Uh, get me out of the way. Control my tongue. Control my speech. I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, so 
grab a copy of your scriptures. I hope you have one wherever you're watching and open it up in the New Testament to the book of Philippians. This is one of the 13 letters of the New Testament that Paul uh, wrote here. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 12 going through verse 21. So we got a little bit of work to do today, but we're going to get through it. So uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 21. And remember the context. It's so important to remember this, that Paul is writing in jail. He is on house arrest. And the irony of it, that he was the one that used to uh, persecute and put people in jail because of their belief in Jesus. And now there he is in jail because he couldn't shut up about his belief in Jesus. And so remember, that's the context in which he is writing this letter. And so here it goes, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, Now that I have, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And one of the first things that I really loved about this verse this week is that it says that I have not already obtained this. And remember who's right. This is Paul, again, who wrote the 13 letters of the New Testament, one of the greatest church planters of all time, saying, look it, I haven't obtained this. I haven't arrived. And that's just a good <laughs> reminder to me that, hey, like, we're never going to arrive. We're all a work in progress. He was also talking about a heresy that was going on that is still going on today about the belief of sinless perfection, that you could actually reach perfection here on earth. And I just want to remind you, if you ever hear that, that's false teaching. You will never be able to be perfect here on earth. We are works in progress, being perfected to become like Jesus, to become conformed to his image. But you're never going to reach perfection. Why? Because you and I, we've all fallen, right? We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark on our journey. Which makes us just pause for a moment today. Where have you fallen? Where have you fallen this week? Where have you sinned? Where have you dropped the ball this week? I can think of many different things this week where I've dropped the ball. And now, here's a question. Where are you dissatisfied when it comes to you dropping the ball? Is there an area in your life that just comes to the forefront of your mind that you're just like, man, I just wish I could just be better at this and I keep dropping the ball in this specific area? Dissatisfaction, where are you dissatisfied? Because here's the thing, when it comes to dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction can really depress us when really we need to let our dissatisfaction help us to press on. A lot of times dissatisfaction can, can deflate us when we really need it to motivate us. Here's a line I want you to, re to remember based on this passage, is that when we fall, when we've dropped the ball, we need to let dissatisfaction be a weapon of action. To not depress, but to press on. To not deflate, but to motivate. To, to allow our dissatisfaction, um, to not let it get the best of us, but to bring the best out of us in our, in our lives. Because it's really easy when we fall short. Maybe you feel that way this week where you've fallen short that you just kind of want to be like, well, you just settle and you're like, it is what it is. I used to say that line all the time. It is what it is. And I try to stop myself from saying that because it's so like settling, like, well, it is what it is. What am I going to do about it? But when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our progress and looking more like Jesus, it's a danger zone if we're ever saying, well, it is what it is. No, no, no. We don't want to say that. We want, we want our dissatisfaction to, to trigger it to be a weapon to motivate us to look more like Jesus. And when you think about athletes, when you think about, um, you know, when, when athletes become satisfied with the way that they are, they literally stop progressing. A lot of times it can actually get them out of the game. 
I was really inspired by watching this past week Chloe Kim in the Olympics when she was snowboarding the halfpipe, won the gold medal for the second time. And in her first run was the run that won her the gold medal. On her second and third run, it was like she already had it in the bag. And she literally could have just coasted down and never really did anything. But what did she do? She tried in her two runs to hit uh, um, a trick that no female has hit in, in an actual competition. And she didn't land them, but she went for it. Like she wasn't satisfied even just with her already winning the gold medal. I think about me, uh, I, uh, a couple years ago, I, I started running. And I never really liked to run, but I started running just for my mind and for my health. And, and, uh, and I, I'll never forget as I got into it and I started to progress and, and get better and get faster, I'd be on trails and when people would pass me, I would just get like mad inside. I would get a little deflated sometimes and be like, oh, it is what it is. I'd say that. But then I'd, you know, I could stay there or other times it would motivate me to be like, okay, you know what? They are faster. But you know what? It's going to motivate me because I'm not going to be able to catch them, but I'm not going to let them out of my sight. I'm going to keep my sight on them. And what did it do? It helped me go faster because I set my sights on them, reminding us that Jesus is our perfect model and that sometimes, as we know, oftentimes we're going to drop the ball. So let that dissatisfaction when you drop the ball not deflate you, but motivate you to press on, to keep going and to keep him in our sight as we keep striving after him. Jen and I were talking this week about the different things that uh, that we're dissatisfied when it comes to where we drop the ball in our lives. And one of the areas that Jen was talking about, I got her permission, don't worry, I'm not going to get in trouble, is her losing her temper. Uh, when things seem like they're out of control in our house with our four kids who are amazing, but sometimes with all their different ages and all their different needs and all their different wants, sometimes it just seems like it's a circus spinning out of control. And it's just like you, you feel like you're losing control and you just can react in a way that you don't want to react. And Jen can get angry and lose her temper and, and she doesn't like when that happens. And so in those moments, she can take those moments and she can start to feel you know, deflated as, as a mom and say, well, I'm not a good mom or maybe it'd be better if they had a different mom or these just you know, thoughts can come into her mind. Or it motivates her to say, no, 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 I, I, I know I can do better than that. And I'm going to strive to do better. I'm going to press on. And so remember, let dissatisfaction be a weapon of action, not to deflate you, but to motivate you. If you drop the ball this week, me too. So don't let it deflate you. Press on. Let it motivate you. Maybe it was with gossip. Maybe it was with your mouth, your language, your love of money, your anger, your pride. I don't know what it is. But let it spur you on. Let it be a tool to motivate you, not to deflate you. Let's keep going. Then Paul goes on, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing. He literally kind of hones in here. He's like, kind of narrows it all. I want to just kind of focus in on this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This idea he's straining forward. Like when you think about straining, like you see these guys in the gym, like lifting weights and they're just like pushing it with everything you have. Or if you're trying to beat your best time and you're just like trying to go across the finish line, you're, like, you're straining, you're just exerting with all that you have to move forward towards the goal. But what does he say? Before you start straining to go forward, you have to forget and let go of the past. Forget your past. This is, this is such an important, simple thing that we all know but we can get so caught in not forgetting our past. 
We can get so tripped up by our past. I mean, when you think about when a quarterback throws an interception, right? I mean, oftentimes when that can happen, it can get into their heads and it can mess up the entire game, sometimes even take them out of the game because it messes with their mind. And the same thing in our game of life, when we throw an interception and it drops the ball and it screws up everything, like that can begin to haunt us and mess up our entire play, our entire game. And what Paul is reminding us, he says, you want to be miserable? Try walking and running the race of life while you're trying to look the other way. You want to be miserable, start running like this and look the other way. I mean, that is going to make your life miserable. And I know for some of you that are watching, this is you. Because of something that has been done to you in your past or something that you have done in your past, you can't forget it. And you're literally running your life looking backwards and you're miserable and you're just buried in that shame. And even though you know God has forgiven you, you can't forgive yourself. And it's literally holding you back towards pressing towards the goal, pressing towards the prize. Can I just remind you if you're in that right now? Can I just remind you again, remember who's writing this? I mean, remember, this is Paul. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was persecuting Christians and throwing them in jail. And now he's in jail. And you got to imagine, you think the enemy was taunting him in that prison, being like, hey, remember what you did? Think of all the Christians that are in jail right now because of you. You're in jail. You should be in jail. You deserve it. You're worthless. I'm imagining the enemy messed with Paul's mind all the time in those moments. But here Paul is reminding, "Mm -mm. no, no, no. I'm going to strain forward because if I don't forget what's in the past, then I can't move forward. And what's interesting is forget. Forget in the scriptures is not erasing out of your mind. A lot of times we think, okay, I got to forget it. Well, how am I supposed to forget those things? They're like in my mind. They're ingrained in my mind. Forget in the scriptures is a reminder to not let your past influence your future. Like in Jeremiah, when, when, uh, when God speaks and, and, and says that, that he will remove our sins and not remember them no, he will remember them no more. That's not saying that that's erased from God's mind and that he's like losing his mind or he's losing his memory. No, that's saying that God is not being influenced by the things of our past. It's not letting it influence him. Jesus is faithful to cleanse us from our past then we must do the same for ourselves. And I want to encourage you, when you don't forgive yourself, you're literally minimizing the power of what the gospel is. And so you need to let yourself off the hook and let the past go. And look, it. I know there's some things that maybe you've done in your life that you would never admit or be too difficult to tell because it's so dark. You know, I got things in my life too. And those things can haunt me. And here's what I do. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. When those thoughts come in your mind, here's what you need to do. You need to repeat this. You need to say, in the name of Jesus, get out of my head. In the name of Jesus, get out of my head. Because remember, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Stop running your life miserably by trying to look backwards the whole time. That's the encouragement Paul gives us to press on towards the goal. Then he says this. He says, I press on, there's that word again, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. 
Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The word press here is this Greek word diokon. And this is a word that means to exert, to work up a sweat, to drive. Like when you think about a football team driving that ball down the field, trying to get to the, to the end zone. Like, you know, the, the, the work that it takes to drive the ball down the field. It's driving with zeal. And what's really interesting as I was reading through these commentaries is that earlier in the chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, I was so zealous, diokon, that I harshly persecuted the church. So the same word that he uses here is the same word that he used about the zealous and the drive that he had to persecute the church is the same word that he's using of now how he's empowering the church. The same word that he used of the zeal that he tried to ruin the church is the same word that he's using now to help run the church. I mean, you see, and what we notice here is the progress. He says, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's reminding us to don't forget the progress. Forget your past, but heck, you got to remember your progress. Oftentimes we're so hard on ourselves. I'm so hard on myself. You're so hard on yourself. And we forget the progress of where we have now come because of Jesus for those of us that are following after him, I mean, come on. Like, you have to remember and rejoice in the progress that God has put you on. I know you're not perfect. I know maybe sometimes it seems like, you know, but you got to look at all the different areas, all the different categories of your life, and notice the progress and rejoice. Think of Paul remembering what he used to do. But he remembers what he has attained now, the progress in his life. I think about... Um, one of the things in my life, sins in my life where I can be so, you know, it's easy for me to, to, is, is to be so quick to judge. I can be so quick to judge others. You know, I can think about my younger years, like in the first five minutes, I could feel like I could just read someone. I'd know exactly who they are, exactly the kind of person they are. And I'd either engage them or I'd write them off in my mind. And even though I can still struggle with being judgmental, I notice You know, God taught me through the years, over the last 20 years, about Matthew 7 when he said, you know, you're focusing on the sawdust specks in your brother's eye, but what about the stinking plank in your own eye? And and, and often now when when I'm quick to judge, I see the plank a whole lot more clear and larger than ever before in my own life. The older that I get, I I notice how much bigger the plank is in my own eye, helping me not to be so judgmental. I see progress and I need to rejoice in the progress that God has put me on. And so remember your progress. Rejoice in your progress. That is one of the tools to help us press on towards the goal. Then in verse 17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, when he talks about the enemies of the cross, we're not sure exactly who he's talking about. He could have been talking about the Judaizers or the perfectionists or the pretending Christians who are just filled with apathy. We're not sure. But what we do know for sure is that This is the only time that we see recorded in the scriptures of all of Paul's letters where where he brought up his tears. 
And it made me step back and think about as he was, you know, tears were falling down his face as he was thinking of the lost, as he was thinking of those that are now enemies of the cross. And it made me pause again to remind myself, when was the last time I had tears for the lost? This past week, I sat across the table from a man who was literally weeping for the lost, and his tears brought tears to my eyes as we wept for the lost. And it started to make me think with our church, what would change if there were more tears that were dripped down for the lost? What would change in our church? If there were more tears dripping down our faces for the lost, what would change in our neighborhoods? What would change in our city? What would change in our schools if we had more tears of focused tears begging God to save those that don't know him and are enemies of the cross? What would change? And then what we see, I think that's one of the other powers to help us press on towards the goal. But then we see Paul says that, he says, brothers, I want you to just join me in imitating me. Some would say he's maybe being egocentric, but he's not because he's talking about those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he's making it plural. He's talking about the importance of patterns, of being examples, and how it's really important to not walk alone. If you want to get taken out of the game, if you want to get stunted or limited in the game of life, walk alone, be isolated. That's what will happen. He's reminding us of the importance of being examples and having patterns to foul after. When we think about football and we think about uh, a team getting ready to play uh, another team that they really want to beat, there are hours spent by coaches and players that are looking over game film of all the different patterns that, they, that they're using. And, or if there's an area that they're really good at, they're looking at those specific patterns so that they can try to be like that or try to figure out a different pattern or they're trying to mimic or model teams that they respect or want to be like. And so it takes time, it takes energy, but they're identifying the pattern that they want to follow. And so... What Paul is reminding us is the importance that we need to identify the pattern and exemplify the pattern. It's so important for us, if we, as we're pressing on towards the goal, to have a pattern that we're identifying. And of course, that key pattern, who is our perfecter of our faith, is Jesus. Like he, he's who we're setting our, our sights on. But then he's given us other models and examples of Jesus' followers on this earth that we can pattern our lives after as well of how they're living it. Follow me as I follow Christ. But it takes work. you got to do the work to identify that pattern, that model, that example, that mentor. I hear a lot of people saying, yeah, I just can't find a mentor. It's really hard for me to find a mentor. Well, they're not just going to come. You've got to fight for it. You've got to work for it. I think about in my own life. uh, Seven years ago, I I saw this pastor at this little uh, conference that I was at. And I just, uh, there was something about him that like I just, I was drawn to. I was drawn to his humility, the way that he was shepherding his church, and I just respected a lot of the things that he did. And so I just, you know, had an email, had a conversation, and then our paths crossed again. And then I just kept asking and then asking. And now I'm one of the four calls a month that I'm on his calendar for 45 minutes where I just ask him questions. I talk to him about what I'm struggling with. I talk to him about what I'm dealing with. And he's got 20 years more down the road than me. And I thank God for that that I have that pattern that I can, you know, model after. But not only are we looking to identify the pattern, then we need to exemplify the pattern of Jesus to the world. And so he's, Paul's stepping back and saying, hey, also, like, is your life worth imitating? Like, think about it. Like, is your life worth imitating? 
I'm not saying your entire life, but like, are there parts that shouldn't be imitated? Or like, should your life be a pattern worth, is your life a pattern worth following? And that's kind of an interesting thing. And it makes me pause also because sometimes I get frustrated when I talk to older people and you define what older people is. That think that they're done and they have nothing to offer because they're older. And they, and if you're listening, you know who you are, and you've basically taken all of your wisdom and all of the plays and the patterns that you've learned to follow after Christ, and you're taking your playbook and you're keeping it to yourself. When the next generation is so desperately needing to see your playbook and, and have you help them see those patterns. And you're just chilling on the bench like you're retired or something. And I just want to encourage you, like, Please, get off the bench and open up your playbook and say, I wasn't perfect, but follow me as I follow Christ. Our world, our next generation needs your playbook, needs the patterns that you've lived through with Christ in it. They need that playbook so, so bad. Please don't keep it to yourself. Identify the pattern, exemplify the pattern. So, Let's recap. What, what, like, what we, like, what have we seen here? It says, let's let our dissatisfaction be a weapon of action when it comes to our struggles of where we've dropped the ball. Let's not let it deflate us. Let's let it motivate us. Let's not get tripped up by the past. We've got to forget it. And then let's remember and celebrate the progress in our lives. And then let's not walk alone in isolation. Let's identify the pattern with mentors. And let's exemplify the pattern to the next generation and the importance to press on towards the goal. Now, there's one more kind of ultimate thing where he lands the plane here that's so, so like important, and it helps kind of catapult all of these when you have this at the forefront of your mind. And this is where he says this. But remember, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What we see here in the scripture, you know, if you think about it, we know football, I know it's Super Bowl, I keep going back to football, but football is tough on the body. I don't know how they do it, all the injuries and aches and pains that they go through. The average age of retirement is 27 years of age. Um, It's tough on the body. But as we know, the game of life is tough on our body, is tough on our souls as well. But what we can look forward to as Jesus followers is we get an upgrade that's coming. As we await our Savior Jesus, we know that we are not only citizens here, but we are citizens of heaven. And that mindset changes everything as we press on towards the goal. Because when we think about our bodies, right? I mean, our lowly bodies, right? They're wearing out full of disease, handicaps, aches, pains. Think about it. It's not gonna be that way anymore. We're gonna get, he promises us a transformed, glorious body. Well, there will be no more of those diseases or handicaps or aches or pains. There's not gonna be, you're not gonna be worrying about gaining weight. You're not gonna be worrying about losing your hair or wrinkles or sagginess or Whatever it is, I mean, we got a guaranteed perk right here of a glorious body like never before. 
as we await a savior. That helps us press on towards the goal like never before. However, you can't be a citizen of heaven until you've had your life or your passport stamped by the blood of Jesus. The only way you can be a citizen of heaven is if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've gotten to the point to surrender yourself to say that Jesus is my Lord. And so my question for you is, is have you gotten to that point where you've humbled yourself? When you say I press on towards the goal, is the goal, I mean, the goal is Jesus. Is your goal for your life Jesus? Yes, you get heaven with Jesus. Yes, you, you get a new body with Jesus. But like, first you got to get to the point is, is Jesus really your goal? Jesus has the power to erase your shame. Jesus has the power to cancel out your sin because he died and he rose again and he's the only way to become a citizen of heaven. And so if you're not and you wanna take care of that and secure that, you can do that right now. So I wanna give you that opportunity wherever you're listening. If that's you, if you wanna be a citizen of heaven today, you can just say, Father, I wanna be a citizen of heaven. Just tell them that. I wanna be stamped by you today. And then just say, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me. I confess my sin and all of my past and my shame to you. You're the only one that can clean me up. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you truly meant that, the scripture is so clear that you will no longer perish but you will have everlasting life and no one can ever take that from you. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for um, being a goal worth going after. God, thank you for your help along the way. Um, Help us to stay on track and to stay in the game and to not let our imperfection keep us down. We love you. Pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Well, hey, if you made a decision today to put your faith in Jesus, you're now a citizen of heaven uh, because of Jesus, through through Jesus. We want to celebrate with you. We don't want you to walk alone. So you can just text the word Mile City to 94,000, and we want to celebrate with you and answer any questions that you have.